Welcome to Business Magic with Maggie Gila, making your business feel and work like magic for you and those you want to impact. Turns out you don't need a wand, you need a strategy. Do you get triggered when you hear people talk about money, especially about how much money they've earned? Then you're probably not going to like this episode, but think of it as exposure therapy. Think of it as this is what is potentially possible. Think of it as learning. I think that in general, we need to talk more about money, more about how much we are earning and spending. So we also see what is realistic and what's not for us. Today, I am so excited to bring you Lisa Johnson. She is a multi-six-figure business coach in the UK, specializing in passive income from memberships and courses. It's a really interesting conversation because we also talk about how she actually built her first business, which was in the wedding industry, and wanted to sell it, but ended up giving it away for free. And we talk about why that happened, why she made that decision, which I found so fascinating. Hope you enjoy. Lisa, I'm so excited that you're here, passive income queen, and I really can't wait to dive into some of the darker things of successful business. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me on. One of the things that we hear about a lot is passive income is gonna is the magic bull that will solve all your problems, yet so many people struggle with getting this started. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, because they think it's a magic bullet that's going to solve all their problems. That, that isn't true. Um, it's just as hard as any other kind of business model. It's just a different business model. And with all different business models, there, there are problems that come with that. I think that the biggest myth I see with passive income is this whole, you know, you just go to sleep and money will rain down on you and you'd have to do anything. Even the word passive in passive income should be changed to leveraged income because it's not passive. You have to put a hell of a lot of work up front to then, yeah, it becomes easier after that. And you make money from it time and time again. I've been making money from the same thing I did two and a half years ago over and over again. But boy, did I have to work hard in those first few months. Absolutely. I've been calling it hands-off income. It's a little bit different, but it's just that you're not glued to your computer. You're not handcuffed. Um, because that was the thing I saw with my business. Like I got booked out with clients. That was fantastic. But I was also working till 11 o'clock at night for six weeks straight because I had, I had to. Yeah. And, and how I try and describe it is, I mean, the only way I can think to describe it in a really realistic way is it's just not trading time for money anymore. That's it really. How many years did it take you to become an overnight success? <laughs> um, if we count my wedding business as well, six. Six years to become that overnight success. (laughs) I love this question. Everyone loves, but it's true because we look at, you know, uh, I always say air quotes successful um, because a lot of the entrepreneurs I've had on here, they they literally have cringed when I call describe them as successful. But there's there's um, the service stuff that you see. And then there's all the crap that happens behind the scenes. Someone actually said um, in a Facebook post about me, uh, a competitor said to me this year that, well, you know, you know, the problem is with people like Lisa Johnson is they've come in from nowhere really fast. They're an overnight success and they're always the ones that will disappear again in a couple of years. Um, and I felt so hurt by that because I'm so not an overnight success just because they've only just seen me doesn't mean I've been working my ass off for the last yeah. you know, six years. The first time I heard this was, I think when I started my business, I started listening to the Being Boss podcast. And I remember having such a huge like light bulb moment when Emily Thompson said that 
people were asking her that. And she had been in business for 10 years. She had <laughs> yeah, been an entrepreneur me. for 10 years. So let's start with Carmela Weddings because that's a business that you built and then later sold. Yeah. Sort of. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. So sort of, kind of. <laughs> I How did that start? Gosh, I was in corporate world as a lot of us start out in. I was in investment bank doing pretty well, you know, what had clawed my way up from my like council estate humble beginnings to work in this investment bank and was doing okay. And then I unexpectedly got pregnant with twins. So I went back to work when they were five months old and thought, you know, this will be okay. I'll just carry on with my lifestyle and obviously couldn't with, with these twin boys. And I never saw them. I realized my life had to drastically change. And so I was lucky enough to get a really simple nine to five because the investment banking world is not nine to five. It's six in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. And I was so used to working those hours and suddenly couldn't do that anymore. So I got this, um, this role that was just nine to five near my house. So I could, I could see them at least in the mornings when they woke up and when they went to bed. But I was so bored. It was a PA role. And, you know, most, most of us were just look, were playing on our computer all day. And I thought there must be something else I can do here. So with no knowledge of business whatsoever, I decided to start a business and just plucked out of the air wedding planning. Like that sounded fun. That's the reason. Yeah, it sounded fun. It sounded glamorous. Did you have any experience in uh, event planning before? No, nothing. So, well, I, I quite liked hosting parties. <laughs> and eating cake, but no. So yeah, well, I started that business and in the, I carried on with my nine to five at the same time and, and bringing up the twins. But in the first year, uh, we sat down at the end of the year and I, I had weddings, you know, I had 13 full planning weddings. So that was pretty good, but I was making less than pound fifty an hour because I knew nothing about business. And so I got a business coach who taught me the foundations that I really wish I had have known a year before this. But so many of us just think we can put a website up and everything will be fine when we first start. So yeah, I learned about, you know, who do I actually want to work with? Ideal client, all the basics, money mindset, that a really bad money mindset. And um, I turned it around. And five months later, we were known as the biggest UK urban wedding planning company. We had a year and a half worth of really big budget clients. It was pretty cool. And then people started asking me how I had done it. And so I started teaching them in my own way what I had done and trying to make what seems like, to me, complicated business jargon simple because I don't think Mm. business has to be complicated. So I started explaining it in a really easy way. They started making money. And that's how organically two and a half years ago, Lisa Johnson Coaching was born. That's so fascinating because I think I came across Carmela Weddings about two years ago through a client of mine I was working with who was in the wedding industry, mentioned Carmela Weddings as one of her dream clients. So I want to check you guys out on Instagram. And I was just like, I completely fell in love. It was <laughs> very, it was very like dark red and moody and yeah. very like industrial style, which was so up my street. I loved that. And oh, only cool. like a year later, I was like, oh, there's a lady called Lisa who actually runs that and she does coaching. Let me go check her out. <laughs> Yeah. And when we started Carmela Weddings, like when we really honed down on like ideal client and niching, that's when it all turned around. Because like you said, it was very dark. No wedding planning companies were dark. They were all pastel, pink, bright. And we were like, actually, if I was getting married again now, I'd want it dark. I'd want it moody. I'd want it to be a really kick-ass party 
with some wedding elements rather than the other way around. Yeah. So that's what we did. And everybody in that time wanted that. Yeah. I have, I have, I really like how we did our wedding and I walked down the aisle to a very traditional Czech song is my family's Czech. I wanted to have the element, but if I could have like a Game of Thrones style <laughs> themed wedding, I would have totally gone for that. Very much up my street. <laughs> I would love to plan that. That would be hilarious. <laughs> but so what, what brought around the decision to stop Carmelo Weddings when it was so successful? Well, two and a half years ago, we started this Lisa Johnson coaching business. It wasn't called that then actually. It was called Just Own This. Um, it, I didn't realize at the time how, how much of an impact it would have when people were searching for Lisa Johnson and not finding it online because they'd heard about me. So I changed the company name to Lisa Johnson Coaching halfway through about a year ago. And um, I was doing both. I was bringing up what was then five-year-old twins while juggling two businesses. And by far, the coaching business was doing so much better in terms of profit because Mm -hmm. one wedding, you can charge around six to 10,000 pounds. It takes about 250 hours of work. And in my coaching business, people wanted to pay me around 10,000 pounds for six hours of work. So it was a, a decision based mainly on how much profit we were making in the time we had. So my husband was working, it's still in a nine to five. I said to him, do you want to leave your nine to five and run Carmela Weddings? Um, because if we're going to carry on, I can't do it myself. He left his nine to five. He took over Carmela Weddings, but then he realized he could write. And he was writing my sales pages. He wrote my website. And people started asking me, who who are writing your sales pages? Because my sales pages were getting, you know, every time I put a sales page out, I'd make 100K. And so people were like, who who are doing these launches for you? Who's writing this stuff? So I said, well, my husband is actually. And they said, can we hire him? Suddenly he becomes fully booked with his own copywriting business that wasn't even intended to ever start. So then nobody's running Carmela Weddings again. And instead of finding somebody else, I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and sell it while it's at its peak because it's, you know, it was doing so well and Mm. we were turning away clients. And so we interviewed five or six people that really were interested in buying. We weren't going to make a lot. I think we were going to make somewhere between 20 and 30,000 because We'd booked no weddings in for this year. This is at the beginning of this year. We'd booked no weddings in. So we're like, okay, you know, 20, 30,000 will be an okay price for this, uh, for an exit strategy. And then interviewed these people and there was no passion about weddings. There was no, you know, they didn't really care that it was urban or industrial. They just wanted to buy something that they could see would just make money. Mm -hmm. And actually running a wedding planning business is really hard you won't just make money. You have to put your you heart need to have the passion. You really yeah. need to have that passion. And so we sat there and said, what are we going to do? Because I don't want to give this, my baby that I've, you know, worked so hard to make this company work and, and have turned it around. I don't want to now give it to somebody who will just, you know, sit there and try and milk it like a cow. So we then decided to offer a competition To anybody that wants their own wedding planning business, is absolutely passionate about the wedding planning world, but otherwise financially would never be able to get a foot in the door because they don't have the experience. I can mentor somebody. They don't need to have the experience. They need to have that passion, that want for it. And so we had hundreds of applications from people that were like, I've always wanted to be a wedding planner. I know your business really well. We've been following you for like three years. 
And we found somebody that was just a perfect fit who never would be able to afford to come in at the level, you know, basically skipping five years of building a brand and SEO and having a portfolio and interviewed her. She's amazing. She's like very Shoreditch. We, all our weddings are Shoreditch based. She was, she's like an older lady whose kids had left home and she's always served others, always helped others and never had anything for herself. She's always wanted to be a wedding planner. And so we gave it to her with some mentoring from me. That's incredible. I think like coming when, you know, I think that's a bit of a danger when you talk about business and investment and revenue and passive income, like it always becomes about the numbers, but this was not really like a profit driven decision, was it? We made no profit at all. In fact, it cost me money because I coached her. so that she could make it work and continue to do so. So no, it was nothing about profit, but I'm making enough money to live a life that I really love with the the coaching business because of the passive income, which has allowed me to do things like that. So I didn't, I wasn't doing it for money. That's really incredible. I think that at a certain point of success, of financial success, like at the end of the day, like, listen, if you can go on a couple of holidays a year, you have a good roof over your head you yeah. have like financial success. Yeah. You're good, like much more than many, many, many parts of the world and giving back and giving opportunities to people, maybe so not necessarily cool. giving them a company, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are always other things you can do, but I do think we get hung up on this. Okay. We've got to six figures. Let's get to half a million. Let's, and we've just hit in our company. We've just hit um, the, the million dollar mark. And in our second year, so which is we're really happy about, but there is such a um, a danger really of now going, okay, let's let's scratch that off, multi seven figures, and and just by going on and on and on without really realizing why you're doing it in the first place. Because if you keep going for destination after destination after destination without really caring about what's happening on the journey, you'll never be happy. You'll never actually be successful because success is in the getting there not in get in being there. Absolutely. I think there's definitely a danger of the industry as well. Kind of on two points, like one with like the journey, like a lot of people want actually, they want happiness. They don't really want the money. They think money can get them to happiness, but how can you create those moments throughout your life? And secondly, this is something I'd like to bring up with you because I've seen this as almost sometimes the, the kind of industry we're in, like coaching strategy, business mentorship, it sometimes looks like a pyramid scheme. Oh yeah. You've got coaches, coaching, coaches, coaching, coaches, coaching, coaches. Yeah. And every single time you hit a financial milestone of like, oh, I hit six figures. Okay. I'm at two six figures. I'm at now half a million. There's always like bigger investments. And Mm -hmm. I've seen this with myself earlier on and with my clients that sure you're making more money, but your investments are growing. So your profit margin is still totally minuscule. Yeah. And I really didn't want that to happen because I'm very aware of this pyramid scheme and it's something I've tried to stay away from the whole time. Um, especially the pyramid scheme in, how do I say this tactfully? You pay a mentor just to be seen with them. So then you can charge more because you're hanging out with them. You know, people that just take photos of people and go hanging out with da 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 because they know that people will then pay them. And I really didn't want to become one of those people because I saw it very early on. I saw, you know, the same person being pictured with 50 different people in the industry. And I was actually with one of these uh, influencers, if you like, when this person walked in the door while we were having a dinner, said, can I take a quick picture without even saying hello to this person? Took a picture, put it on Instagram, just having lunch with, and I can't stand it. 
I just can't stand it. So I decided I was never going to become this. And so with profit margins, I was very much like, I'm going to make it without doing any of that stuff. And I want my profit margins to be high. And so I'm very much about old fashioned business. I, I, I look at the metrics. I care about the metrics. My profit margins are over 90%, which in this industry is ridiculous. But it's because I don't waste money on, you know, having a massive team of people around me. I do invest. I've invested heavily in coaches, but for what I need. I will get a sales coach if I need to learn how to sell better. You know, I will get a coach on PR if I need to learn how to get into some, some, you know, big, places, but I won't coach for the sake of coaching. And I think a lot of people do. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's also with courses. Like I have bought, I've been in business for five years, four years. I've maybe bought five courses and they were all like max $300. Yeah, I've never bought like a big course. And that's because I knew, and I like, like, let's be clear. I have been on those sales pages like multiple times thinking about buying, buying the course. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm a business and marketing strategist. So my knowledge tends to be fairly broad, but stuff like about podcasting or about Facebook ads, really specific things. And I think also, and this kind of goes back to this pyramid scheme with the message we're getting in the industry is that you always have to have a coach. Yeah. And I don't think that's true. I don't always have a coach. I have, I always have people helping me with something, but they're not necessarily coaches. Sometimes it's consultants or sometimes it's, I hire someone for implementation. Because if I'm learning all this stuff all the time, but I don't have any time to implement because all I'm doing is learning, then what's the point? And I saw, you know, I've seen people take courses after courses after courses and not implement anything. Like I've literally seen them go around the whole coaching circuit in the UK, like taking all of these different courses. And I see no difference in their implementation. I see no difference in what they're doing. And so when it came to like passive income with me putting courses out there, the first thing I thought to do, because to make life easier, you're going to go completely passive. You're going to put a course out there that people can just buy and they can just do on their own. But I realized after just doing that one time with one launch, if I did it live, if they had to show up, if there was accountability, they were going to much more likely finish that course. And if I put implementation weeks in as well, they're going to do the stuff from the course. So rather than go completely passive, I decided to make every single course that I've ever done semi-passive, not passive. And yes, that means I have to do 10 hours more work or whatever, but for the results that you get at the end of it, it's totally worth it. Absolutely. I love that. And um, I think there's people who are very self-motivated and they can just sit down and do the work and they watch the course and they implement. But I think that's like, what, 5% of people? I I tell you what, I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm I not that. Definitely. Any courses in a whole folder of courses that I have that I've never taken because there's no, no one forcing me to. I'm used to having a boss. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I'm not used to having a boss. <laughs> um, I went straight from my master's into freelancing and then into um, starting my company. But external accountability is absolutely huge for me. I'm having business friends and yeah. masterminds I'm in and people I can like voice message and be like, guys, I need help. I have this email in draft and I'm too scared to send it. Please yeah. help me. That <laughs> kind of support network. Yeah, you do need that. I think masterminds for me, I, I didn't really come across masterminds until last year. So I was having coaching and then realized that actually I didn't need another coach. I needed a support network of people who were going through the same thing as me. And that's, I joined a mastermind and it was one of the best things I've ever done. Yeah. 
I've had a similar experience with, um, I, I always thought it was a group programs because that's what I started with when I started joining these things and with, well, basically group programs slash masterminds and attending live events. Those have been the two biggest and best investments ever for like my personal development, for yeah. friendships and for my business as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm still at the lower end of only just started to go to the, like the events. Um, but I really want to do more of that next year. Yeah. They're fun. I, I, I love I've, mine is happening next week. So probably like, well, that won't be relevant when this podcast episode gets published, but <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the obstacles you encounter day to day? So many all the time, knowing what to outsource is a big one for me. I'm now at that point where I know I need a team. I've held it off for a very long time, but you can't get to this point without giving something away. So we have just hired, we've just interviewed and, and chosen somebody to work as an employee. I've always used freelancers and I realized I needed somebody that actually really cared about the business as much as me. They need to be in the business, not just working for 20 different people. So we've hired somebody, but that is a real challenge for me because I don't want to let go of anything. I'm, mm. I hold it all very close to me, all the knowledge is in my head. Um, so that's always going to be a challenge day to day of me giving that away. I still have a challenge when it comes to sort of making myself do things and push myself more. It's great when I have a coach um, because the accountability is there. But when I don't, I could very easily go. You know, last month we just did a we just did a um, a launch and we made one hundred seventy five thousand dollars in a week. And so my head will then go, "Don't need to do anything for a month. Just go and watch Netflix. <laughs> go and chill out." Well, actually, that's not true. Like on the momentum of the back of that, there's so much you need to do. It's, you know, evaluate what you did, what worked, go and do more of that. And I have to push myself to do that because I'm inherently quite lazy. So me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I will make myself do stuff. Um, I still make bad choices when it comes to investing quite a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. In the first year of my business, of my coaching business, I lost 27,000 on a Facebook ads manager that I didn't do my due diligence on. I, you know, I saw that she had some amazing testimonials from people who I recognized as sort of Insta famous in the industry. And so without checking any of them out, I just went with her. And she might be brilliant for those people, but maybe not the greatest fit for me. And so the ROI was zero on that 27 grand, which in the first year is a big hit to have. Mm -hmm. and made me very, very wary of Facebook ads to the point that all of my launches that I've done this year, I haven't used a single Facebook ad on because I'm still so wary and I will. I know I need to, to get to that next level, but yeah. And I've made bad choices in, in the coaches that I've chosen. You know, I've paid 30,000 to a coach who then basically tried to bully me out of the industry. And that's my own fault because I didn't do my due diligence. And I, I rush into things without kind mm -hmm. of really doing my homework on things. I'm a big risk taker. So I'll be like, oh, so, this person is definitely right. <laughs> so more of this like impulsive, really let's impulsive. go for it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'll decide. It's probably good for an investment banker. Yeah. It's really good for that side of things. It's not so good. I mean, it's always good to take risks. I get that you need to do that in business, but they should be calculated risks. Mine aren't always calculated. Mm. I'll just That's do interesting. I'm personally very risk averse, especially oh, yeah. like financially. I think it's, I think probably something to do with my childhood and how I was brought up. And um, <laughs> both of my parents, you know, uh, I was born in 1989, two weeks before the revolution in Prague. Oh, so my God. parents are 
from Czechoslovakia, basically, yeah. and they grew up under communism. So that obviously affects like family life. And uh, when we were living in the US, we basically didn't have any money because my father was a, um, I hope I say this correctly. My mom <laughs> listens to like all my podcast interviews. So she, I'll probably get a phone call like, no, he was something else. I think he was working on his PhD or uh, something like that when we were in Palo Alto in California. So we didn't really have much money at all. Yeah. And that still definitely affects how I make investment decisions. I'm very, very cautious. I do way too much due diligence and I take way too long to make investment decisions. And I do think from my, for me in retrospect, I probably would be further along if I had more of those just go for it moments. Be decisive. But what's yeah. interesting though, is that I had a, a kind of similar background in that we had absolutely no money. We were like breadline council housing. And I think that's why I spend money so quickly, because I think I have a, my, my first money mindset issues when I came into this like online world were people like me do not make this kind of money. And mm. so I had to get over that. Now that I'm making this kind of money, my money mindset is going, you better spend it all because it could disappear at any moment. Mm. So also a dangerous place to be in. Yeah, very dangerous. And I think that you never really get completely over these mindset issues from your childhood, these money mindset issues. And um, every time I think I've like dealt with one, something else is there and I'm having to work on it all the time. It's always yep. a big challenge for me. I'm, I'm the same. I'm doubt, but for me, it's definitely more from scarcity and like, oh, it's, there's not going to be enough so you to save everything. But I, it was so fascinating. The queen of money mindset, Denise Duffield Thomas, I was at her event in London recently and she talked about that she still has to work on money mindset issues herself. Yeah. She does. yeah. So that makes me feel so much better. Like there's always something you can work on. Yeah, there's always like, another yeah. challenge. There's always going to be that. I was talking to her because I was at lunch with her the day before when you saw her, I stood on stage with her at the same event we were talking at the same event so we had lunch together that day and we were talking about exactly that how it doesn't ever really go and that's probably a good thing to know isn't it because then we can accept that we're always going to have it and we don't have to change ourselves we just need to work on it all the time yeah I think I think the awareness is the big thing yeah you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, I struggled so much and I still do with perfectionism. And even with this, this podcast, like it took me a good 10 months of actively thinking about it and having it in my sauna before I actually sent the first scheduling email, like, Hey, I'd, I'd love to have you on because it's, it's, uh, for me, it's terrifying that, Oh, I'll do something wrong. I'll make a mistake. But at the end of the day with these conversations, there never is a perfect solution. And it's no. just always like you test it, you tweak it and you try again. You're constantly learning. Yeah. And it's with we're, we're very opposite in that way. So I'm not a perfectionist in any way. I'm very much just get it out there, see what happens. And so I started a podcast just without really doing any checking of anything. Started the podcast, did eight episodes, hated recording a podcast, pulled it. <laughs> within a within an eight week period, I had a podcast, didn't have a podcast because I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. So I think that's good for me in some ways because I get stuff out there. If it, and I've, I've had, you know, I've launched stuff before that hasn't worked, just pulled it. I'd rather fail yeah. fast. I'd rather just fail yeah. fast if it's going to fail. I think that's fantastic. That, that's stuff that like not enough people talk about in the industry that you have, like now you have a successful business and things work, but sometimes you have a launch that flops. Or Even just... now. Yeah, yeah. I've, it, within a two week period, about a month ago, I was in Spain and my, my sister and I had seen this yacht that we wanted to hire for the day. So we wanted to be like the Kardashians, you know, all of that stuff, just like having a really fun day. And it was around three grand. And she said to me, why don't you make it while you're here? 
because then you won't feel guilty about spending it. Just make it what you're here. So we did this sales page, put something out to my audience and we made seven and a half K. And so we bought it. The same week I put something out that I've been working on for about four months, brilliant sales page. It had been properly thought out, not a half an hour by the pool kind of a sales page. I didn't get one sale on it. I called it. But no one will see that, you see. They'll only see the one that works. <laughs> Why do you think that happened? Why do you think that sales page didn't work? I think that sometimes we don't ask our audience enough what they want. Like with the other, with the other one where I knew I needed to make 3K, I went straight into my audience and I said, what are you struggling with right now? They all came back with, we really want to start an email list and we don't know how. So I said, okay, I'll put together a four-week bootcamp and it's sold because I'd asked them. Whereas this was something I wanted to teach, not something they necessarily wanted to learn. Um, and so I put it out and it didn't work. And I've done that you know, several times. This isn't like a, I failed once thing. I fail constantly. You just only see the wins. Yeah. I think this is such an important point. So thank you for sharing this. And um, I really wish more conversations would happen around this stuff because it's not all rainbows and unicorns farting glitter all the time. It's like, yeah, hey, in one, in basically what, a two-day period, yeah. you could have one launch that you spent half an hour on by the pool and it worked and you hit the goal and you had one you spent four months on and you didn't sell a single thing. And you know, it's not the end of the world. That doesn't mean your business burnt down. No. That doesn't mean you're a failure. No. Just and all you can else. do is learn from things. So no failure is ever really a failure. Yes, you'll feel like a failure and it's okay to like lick your wounds for a little bit. But actually what you then need to do is pull it very quickly and start again and just keep going. Because you know, no business, I don't know any business owner. And I'm talking like, I've worked with many multi seven figure business owners by now. And I don't know any that haven't failed continuously. Like even now they're failing. We're just not seeing it. And that's, that's okay. People aren't going to shout about their failures as much as they are about their wins. Um, but what makes you successful is not the failure and all the wins. It's learning from those failures. Because if you learn something and you can tweak it to have a much better launch next time, then you're a success. Absolutely. I think that's that's the mantra that got me from my burnout and perfectionism is test it, tweak it, try again. And as much as I am a strategist, I love thinking and planning. I love the brainstorming parts. Really, it gets me very excited. But I've also seen that in the last two years as my business has grown quite expen exponentially, a big reason of that is when I've kind of said, screw this, seems like a good idea. I'm just going for it and we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. Because if we think about something for two years, and then it fails, we've lost two years. If we think about something for a month and it fails, we've lost a month. Fail fast. Just get it out there. See what yeah. works. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest roadblocks or mistakes, actually, I see, especially new entrepreneurs make when they spend, they don't have an audience. They don't even have too many clients, yet they're spending like a full six months working on this amazing fancy course. Oh, God. So my biggest tip that I tell everybody is, never create something before you've sold it. I see so many people who want to make passive income creating these, you know, shit hot, really flashy memberships, really amazing courses with videos and they get videographers in and they do these workbooks and they put it out there and no one buys it because they didn't ask their audience if they even wanted it and they've wasted all that time. Whereas just get your sales page out there. You kind of know what's going to be in the modules so you can still write a sales page, get it out there. If you make a load of money from it, Write it as you go along. Yeah. Write the content as you go along. Do yeah. it as a beta version. And it yeah. saves a lot of time and a lot of heartache because they might say, no, we don't want that. But what we'd really like is this. Then make that instead. <laughs> exactly. You still have a bit of time and uh, to be able to leverage that so you can change course. Yeah. Be flexible I, with it. 
Yeah, I think especially like in this industry, things are changing so quickly. Yeah, they like really the are. algorithms, softwares, new tools are coming out. You have to be flexible. And the automated webinar crazy sales funnels that were bringing in hundreds of thousands three years ago are no longer working. No, it doesn't work. There, there is definitely a shift. So I've been launching for nearly three years. And even in that very small period of launching, the, the shift that I have seen in how people launch, and this is why I teach launching because I'm constantly looking at what's working and what isn't. Last year, I could pretty much put an automated funnel together with a masterclass or webinar and know that I would make between 60 and 100K. This year, there's no way that would happen. It's all about high touch. You need to be actually reaching out to people. You need to be talking to people. It's about building relationships. It's about the connection. And I think that's just because people are more wary now online. They've been burnt. They've bought courses they haven't done or that they have done and it hasn't given them what they needed. And so they want to talk to you more. They want to really get to know the person that is going to be delivering this course. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I love it. Like, this is so up my street. Like, I love the relationships and the events and, and, you know, come book a call with me or like chat to me on Facebook Messenger. Like, I'm, I'm there. I'm happy to answer questions. So yeah. I'm personally quite happy with this shift. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good thing. What are still some goals you would love to tick off? It's a hard one because at the beginning of this year, I wrote myself a big list of goals and some of them, especially two of them, I thought were a definite not for this year, but I'm going to put them on anyway. And I've achieved them. One was going to Necker Island to meet Richard Branson, which I'm doing in June. And one was to have a full feature just about me in Forbes magazine, which happened. I didn't want just a quote. I wanted a whole feature and it weirdly happened. So now it's getting harder. So things that I definitely want to do within the next year, I want a TED Talk. I've been wanting a TED Talk for two years. I've never dared apply for a TED Talk because speaking terrifies me. But this year I've been on four stages. So I feel like I'm, I'm cutting my teeth, you know, I'm, I'm doing it. Um, so I'd love to have a TED talk. Other things that I want to do, I want to have a big nine month passive income mastermind that can change people's lives, like a proper get your teeth into it, spend nine months really working on it rather than a quick course. I want to be there on the ground with them. I want to do more things that are connection-based. So I've got a membership at the moment and we only ever do things online. I do this thing called Wine Down Friday, where every Friday night, as if we're in after-work drinks, we all get a glass of wine, we all have a chat online. And there's sometimes like 50 to 100 of us on, which is lovely, but I want to meet these people in person. So mm -hmm. next year, we're meeting every month and I'm just going to make time for it. I've always said it's too hard, it's too expensive. People won't be able to do it. We have to make time to connect because if we yeah. don't, those businesses that aren't connecting with people in a real way over the next few years, I think they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's honestly just also for your mental health, your own mental health. Yeah. Like I work from home. I love not having to put on mascara or like actual pants and, you know, just <laughs> walking my dog without my bra. That's the best thing ever. But I also, and as an introvert, it's also like, it just feels difficult. I have to take the bus. I have to go into Amsterdam, just like, oh, people and being social. But when I'm there, I love it. And if I don't do it for too long, I really feel it. I get like two in my head. I, my anxiety is going through the roof. I'm very like more like frantic and panicky. And when I have that like social interaction, I'm meeting entrepreneurs. I come away like energized and inspired and go and like hit the ground running to work on my plans. Amazing. I, I suffer from depression, anxiety. And as an extrovert, that when you're on your own and you're not drawing energy from other people, 
that's what triggers my anxiety. If I'm on my own for too long, in my own head for too long, I need to be out there talking to people. And this year I have done nowhere near enough of that. So definitely agree with you there. Yeah. I think it's also, it's knowing yourself. I've, um, it took me running three international live events before I realized I was an introvert. (laughs) And then you, my mother was like, my mom was like, I could have told you that years ago, (laughs) but you got through them. It's all good. I did, but now I have an event planner. I'm like, I'm not doing the logistics myself. And um, that gives me time to then I can spend all my energy just like welcoming and hosting people and doing the strategy and hot seats. But um, it's also knowing myself. And yeah, if I have too many events and in a week or in a month, really, and too much travel and too much socializing, I just know. No, I I get exhausted. (laughs) Um, Final question for you, Lisa. I would love for you to issue an action step, a quest for our listeners for the week. What should they do? What I'd love you to do, because obviously as the passive income queen, I really, really want people to have more passive or semi-passive income streams in their business. It gives you the freedom that you won't get with anything else. I know it's difficult. I know that it takes time to do it. But one of the things that you can start with is getting over the fact that you're not an expert in something. So this is what stops most people from having a passive income stream is imposter syndrome. So I believe that an expert is the person that knows the most about a particular subject in an average room, not in the world or in a town, in an average room. So what I would love you guys to do is sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and work out all of the things you actually are an expert in because you will be so surprised. It doesn't have to be about what you do in your business right now. It could be a hobby you have. It could be something you've done in your business in a previous life, you know, in a, in a, customer service role that you had, or if you were a banker or whatever else you did, you will be an expert in some topics. Start writing them down because eventually that's what's going to make you the money. Lisa, thank you so much for being on. I've loved having this conversation with you and thank you for the great quest. No worries. It's been really great to be here. Thank you. Hey, hey, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe so you never miss new episodes. And if you have a business bestie who needs to hear this message, go share this with them. See you in the next one. Love and magic, Maggie.